Hello, this is Gregory Novak. This is The Cunning of Geist, episode 36. Welcome back. Please follow our Facebook page for this podcast, at Cunning of Geist, and also on Twitter, at Cunning of Geist. As we say at the beginning of each episode, the purpose of this podcast is to present Hegelian philosophy that is understandable to non-academics and especially to the many seekers out there that are looking to find more out of life. And most importantly, I try to present Hegel's philosophy in a way that one can personally benefit from. I do this by trying to demonstrate that we all have a creative and free mind that can guide us to purposeful action in our lives. So with that being said, I just want to take a moment and thank all of you who have been listening to this podcast. We have quite a number of people listening from all over the world, and I really want to thank you and thank you for your, your encouragement. Now, on to the current episode. In this episode, we'll be discussing a key element of Hegel's philosophy, and that is the notion of sublation, or Aufhebung in German. Now, Hegel makes it very clear how important this concept is. He calls it one of the most important concepts in all of philosophy. And we'll be taking a deep dive here on this notion because it's so central to, to what Hegel is all about. And also it's essential in understanding the, the true nature of reasoning as well, which we'll get into. But first, let's take a, a brief definition of, of sublation. Now, it's the English translation of the German word Aufhebung. And this German word has a dual meaning. It means to negate as well as to lift up, to negate something as well as to lift up something. And, but it preserves it in this lifting up. Now, I know this sounds very contradictory and we'll be getting into this in detail in this episode. But first, I just want to step back here and say, why am I talking about sublation? Why are we doing a full episode of the cunning of Geist? on one particular term. And how will this understanding be important to anyone? How can anyone benefit from this? Well, here's why. We did an entire episode, episode 10, on the divided brain, the left brain versus the right brain, and what that means. In his book on the subject, which I went into in a lot of detail in that episode, Ian McGilchrist compares this to a master and his emissary. The right brain is the master. It is more holistic in its thought. It tends to be more purpose-driven, but it relies on the left brain to analyze the situation, to be its emissary, if you will, to break it down into its component parts and then return the raw data back to the master, the right brain, to make the correct interpretation and decision. We discussed back then how our Western civilization is becoming more and more left brain oriented over the centuries. We tend to divide and separate everything. We don't see unity. We focus on division. And this is becoming increasingly clear in our world today. We, for the most part, lack a holistic reinterpretation of the information, the tremendous amount of information that's being given to us every day by the left brain. And this tends, unfortunately, to lead to less purpose and less meaningful action in our lives and more empty life. Now, there was no such thing as left brain, right brain research back in Hegel's day. But his notion of the understanding versus reason, that's Verstand versus Vernunft in German, has a similar meaning, as we've discussed. The understanding, Verstand, represents common thinking. It divides and analyzes. 
Whereas reason, vernunft, is more holistic and sees the unity in things. It comes up with a meaningful conclusion, a purpose, and a direction. Now, a central theme of Hegelian philosophy is to put the emphasis back on reason, back on vernunft, and less so on the understanding, which can often miss the big picture. True, we need the understanding. We need to break things down to figure them out. But we also need to reincorporate that back into the big picture. As we've said in previous episodes, the left brain understanding is the map, whereas the right brain reasoning is the actual territory. Now, what I'm hopefully going to show in this episode is that this notion of sublation is this very active reasoning at work. It's the right brain's work. It's the master's work, so to speak, as opposed to the emissary. Uh, it's about finding unity from disparity. You know, in Rosicrucianism, which we've talked about a couple times in these podcast episodes, there's a notion of the master within. And interestingly, although he's not a spiritual teacher, the success coach Tony Robbins talks about awakening the giant within. And this has to do with reasoning. That is the giant within. Um, that's the master within. That's the holistic right brain. And what we'll be covering here is sublation is its engine. It's its driving wheel. I believe that understanding this notion of sublation will help you understand how reasoning itself works. I know it helped me. And you can see it more in your own life. Um, instead of relying solely on the left brain, dividing everything into either or thinking, incorporating right brain reasoning can, can make a huge difference in a person's life. As we've said here many times before, you're not just a result of blind forces acting, acting randomly. You know, uh, protons, electrons, neutrons bouncing around with no purpose. You have the gift of mind. You have the gift of reason, which you can use to better yourself, to better your family, to better your community, to better your broader society. And as they say, it's a cliche, but to make the world a better place. This is what this podcast is all about. This is what the cunning of Geist is all about. Now, with that, let's get into this concept of, of sublation, this, this key concept. First, let's discuss where the word sublation came from. Actually, it came into existence when translators were trying to work on Hegel's writing and they needed to come up with a word for Aufhebung, which is a German word. Uh, and there wasn't an exact equivalent um, in English like so many other German words. Now, it's interesting. Hegel actually provides a very detailed definition of the word in his Science of Logic. And I'm going to quote Hegel here, quote, to sublate has a twofold meaning in the language. On the one hand, it means to preserve, to maintain, and equally it also means to cause to cease, to put an end to. Even to preserve includes a negative element, namely that something is removed from its influences in order to preserve it. Thus, what is sublated is at the same time preserved, it has only lost its immediacy, but it is not on that account annihilated. The two definitions of to sublate, which we have given, can be quoted as two dictionary meanings of this word, but it is certainly remarkable to find that a language that has come to use one and the same word for two opposite meanings. It is a delight to speculative thought to find in the language words which have in themselves a speculative meaning. The German language has a number of such. The double meaning of the Latin word tolere does not go so far. Its affirmative determination signifies only a lifting up. Something is sublated only insofar as it has entered into unity with its opposite, end quote. So there you have Hegel, straight from the horse's mouth. 
Now, it's interesting that he mentions the Latin word toler. And when the English translators back in the day were looking to Latin to find an appropriate word to translate Offenbach, which they often did, they'd look, go back to Latin. Uh, in, in Latin, there's a word sublatus, sublatus, uh, S-U-B-L-A-T-U-S, which is the past participle of tolo or toler, the word Hegel referred to, to take away, to lift up. So that's where they came up with the term sublation. It's from the Latin word sublatus. Uh, and that's what they used to signify the German word Offenbach in English. Now, it, there were some recorded uses of the term Offenbach before Hegel in German philosophy, but it was Hegel who really took the concept and owned it and put it on the map, if you will. Now, let me provide a, a little bit of personal reflection on this word. The English word sublation really doesn't uh, connote anything to me and probably nobody else. It really is just a placeholder for the German word Offenbach. It's a placeholder for this word in studying Hegel. Now, I do not speak German, and I don't know what Offenbach connotes for a German speaker. However, in thinking this through, I came up with some examples in English that I think might be relevant. They're kind of interesting. First is the English term to take something up, as in, I took up golf, or I took up a study of Hegel's philosophy. It means becoming interested in a pursuit of some sort, beginning a new activity and focusing on it. It also can be used uh, as follows. Um, someone could say, you need to take that up with the department head, or I don't want to, to take up any more of your time, or I don't want to take up any more space in my living room. Note the use of the word take up here, and this is why I think it's similar to Offenbach. In both cases, the thing being referred to is a given special attention or space in a personal manner. It's being lifted up, so to speak, into a different realm of meaning and recognition. It's not what it was before, but it's not been annihilated. It's just in a different meaning now. Golf, before one takes it up, is just a game others played. But once one takes up golf, it now has a special meaning to them. It's a new perspective, which golf did not have before, now that they're actually playing the game. And I think this is in line with the, what uh, the term Offenbach refers to. Now, there's another phrase in English, which I think is similar, and that's to pick something up. And no, I'm not talking about lifting something off the floor, picking up a piece of paper that fell on the floor. I'm talking about using the word pick up as follows. I picked up a hitchhiker yesterday when I was driving, or I picked up a guy at the bar last night, or I picked up a nasty cold on vacation. Or can you pick up some wine on the way home from work? Again, picking up here means moving something to a special personal situation uh, and that one did not have before. It does not mean literally lifting something up. You do not actually pick up a hitchhiker, lift them up off the ground. You do not lift up the person off the ground that you met at a bar. But pickup has the connotation of a new special relationship, as I said, that did not exist before. The hitchhiker now is in a different relation to you. It's still the same person, but before they were unknown. Now they are known. I believe these examples help us to understand a bit of the nuance with the term of Offenbach. Now let's get into Hegel's use of the term. Um, his, his use is quite ubiquitous. In the science of logic alone, he uses the term 710 times. 
and compare this to the term dialectic, which he uses 119 times. So it's uh, some uh, six or seven times more likely that he uses uh, sublation than he does actual dialectics. And, and dialectics is a term most associated with, with Hegel. But um, as, as we see here, the, the, key, the, the, the key behind dialectics is really sublation. Now, I just want to return to the definition of sublation that Hegel provided in the Science of Logic that I quoted earlier. And he, he notes that, that two opposite meanings are wonderfully combined in one word, one concept. And he importantly attributes this to speculative thinking. Let me quote him again, just part of that quote. But it is certainly remarkable to find that a language has come to use one and the same word for two opposite meanings. It is a delight to speculative thought to find in the language words which have in themselves a speculative meaning. The German language has a number of such, end quote. So this goes back to what we referred to earlier. When Hegel says speculative thought, when he says that word, speculative, he means reason, vernunft, not the common understanding, verstand. And as we discuss reason, speculative thought tends to think holistically, seeing the forest from the trees, combining different concepts into central themes or ideas, overcoming oppositions. Now, when something is sublated, it is negated, but it is not annihilated completely. And this is very important. It is transformed. It's independent no more. It no longer has a separate existence, but is carried up into a new concept, into a new meaning. Take our golf example. One negates the notion of golf as a sport other people play or that watch on TV as follows. It's now a sport that I, along with others, play. So the meaning of golf to the person that's taken it up, that's sublated it, is, is different. Golf now is a new meaning to me. It's still golf, but it means something different. A hitchhiker standing on the side of the road is a random person. Could be anyone. But when you pick up that hitchhiker, now they're no longer a random human being in the abstract. Uh, th that's been negated. They now become an individual to you. It is the randomness that is negated, but the same individual is now elevated to a different meaning. And you can probably think of many examples on your own. But rather than talk about golf and hitchhikers, let's move on to Hegel's first use of the term in the science of logic. Uh, and this is right in the beginning where he talks about being and nothing, being sublated into the concept of becoming. Now, pure being and pure nothing lose their purity and become the new determination of becoming. So there is a mutation here, if you will, of being and nothing into becoming. But it's important to note that being and nothing remain as moments within becoming. And Hegel scholar Stephen Hulgate expresses this very well, and I quote, Offibung does not cast anything aside. As the absolute imminent method of speculative philosophy, it carries everything along with it. What gets lost is the purity of the category, the idea that the category is purely and simply itself and nothing more. Hegel believes that every subsequent determination will simply preserve its predecessors as a moment of itself. So, now, just to back up a little bit, Hulgate's quote here leads to a bigger thought, I think, which, as you know, we've covered it. Hegel's overall system goes from logic to nature to spirit. Logic is prior to nature, not in a time sense, but in a structural sense. And so we must not realize that since logic is logically prior to nature, any finite thing we see in nature, a rock, a book, a house, any finite thing has its foundation, its predecessor in the logical 
idea. This is important to keep in mind. Now, a couple of other distinctions about sublation. It's not just negation. Um, as I quoted Hegel above, thus what is sublated is at the same time preserved. It has only lost its immediacy, but it is not on that account annihilated, end quote. So it's not gone. It's not annihilated. It's just uh, been uplifted into new meaning. And just as importantly, it's not just a synthesis. Uh, Ralph Palm puts this nicely in his dissertation on Hegel's sublation. And here is referring to the section in the Science of Logic uh, entitled The Idea of the True. I quote Palm here, quote, Hegel defines truth as the unity of concept and reality. For Hegel, subjective cognition is inadequate because its result is a synthesis defined as a unity of things that are originally separate and only externally so conjoined. Subjective cognition does not attain the level of truth because synthesis as an external unification does not complete the unification of concept and reality, end quote. So Hegel's truth here is a sublation of concept and reality into one truth. Now, as an aside, and we've talked about this before, this, again, this quote points to the inadequacy of the thesis, antithesis, synthesis, that's so commonly incorrectly attributed to Hegel. Sublation is not synthesis, as we've just said, as Hegel notes in this uh, passage from the Science of Logic. Now, I want to deal with an important question here. Can something be both preserved and changed in one process? Is this a blatant contradiction? Well, to answer this, let's examine the being-nothing-becoming example, a little more detail. Being and nothing start off as presuppositionless notions, but in further examination, they appear to be the same, that one becomes the other and vice versa. So becoming now enters the picture. We now have becoming as the sublation of being and nothing. Being and nothing are preserved, however, as moments within becoming. They are now different than originally conceived. Rather than being presuppositionless opposites, which are found to be identical, they are preserved distinct moments through sublation in this new determination of becoming. And this, this process goes on and on throughout the science of logic, throughout the entire encyclopedia of philosophical sciences. Now, an important point here, sublation is not something that is put into something from outside it. It's not a separate mind or a separate force or a separate philosopher. It is what something turns out to be logically through reason. It does not have a goal, a direction, or a purpose. It is inherent within the determination when reason is brought to bear. Um, it's not trying to balance to make peace or to synthesize. It is seeing something for what it is in actuality. I want to back up again and go back to reason versus understanding. Now that we've reviewed sublation in some detail, you can better see these two different approaches, I hope. The understanding would only see being or nothing, either or. That's why this question, why is there something rather than nothing, is a false question. And we did an entire episode of this in episode 29. It is the reason that sees being and nothing as both being moments within becoming. This is important. Of course, either or thinking is necessary, as I said earlier, but reason itself through sublation is the higher form of thinking. Now, what this really means is this isn't just some logical exercise. Sublation is driving the dialectic movement of history, the world that we live in. 
I mentioned before that Hegel's system consists of three parts, the logic, nature, and then spirit. Now, the logic and its negation, nature, are both moments in the historical development of spirit, Geist in German, in the world. This is the world we live in. This is the world of spirit. We discuss this in detail in episode 20, Realizing the Purpose of History. Spirit is developing through history, through us, following this dialectic process of which sublation is the engine. Now, just one other point. It's interesting. You can even look at the Christianity through this notion of sublation, the Christian trinity. Now, we've talked about Hegel has a very different take on on Christianity from traditional religion. So that's important to keep in mind. But for more information on this, please see the full episode that I did on this entitled Hegel, the Law of Three and the Christian Trinity. That was episode 18. But for now, let's take a look. There's God the Father, and God the Father is logically prior to Christ the Son. And in Hegelianism, Christ the Son is the negation of God the Father. And uh, Christ the Son is embodied now in a human being, Jesus. And then Jesus is in turn negated. He, he dies on the cross. And so now you have a negation of the negation, if you will. And this is sublation, pure and simple. And does an end there, of course, the Christ spirit is then reborn. It is lifted up. And there you go again with that word, lifted up and become spirit here within the community. It's the risen Christ that lives within us all. So thus, God the Father and Christ the Son are sublated moments of spirit within us here on earth. So just to summarize, we've seen how sublation is a critical part of Hegel's philosophy. We've seen how it corresponds to holistic right-brain reasoning rather than left-brain either-or analysis. We've seen how it runs through Hegel's philosophy as the heart of the dialectic movement of spirit within history. And hopefully you can see how you may have overcome various challenges in your own life as this process was occurring. And it will continue to do so. So that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Please share links to this episode on, on social media, wherever you you do your social media. And um, as, as before, all the references that I cited here will be listed at the Cunning of Geist Facebook page, at Cunning of Geist. I'm Gregory Novak. This is The Cunning of Geist. See you next time.